So let's see everybody warm up, get to it. Hello, hello. <laughs> Thanks for tuning in to Seeker. Season 1 is the Book of James. We decided to kick off this podcast with the Book of James because no matter what your background or what your experience is with uh, Christianity or the Bible, um, this is a very accessible way to understand what it means to be a Christian. Did you bring a cake? What is that over there? Did you not read my text? That again? Might be something called... The Big Donut. Yeah, but I didn't know. I didn't know that was a real thing. No, I didn't either. I didn't know what it meant. I didn't either. Because I was scampering through the cabinet trying to find, like, I said, man, we have to have something to go with our coffee. (laughs) That is a big... (laughs) Is this a big enough donut for you? (laughs) Oh, my God. That is a big donut. You're a freak. (laughs) (laughs) Yeah. uh, Excuse me. I ordered the large. Where did that go? Where would a man... Where... (laughs) I ordered a large donut, a big donut. Where does that come from? Where? Heaven. This is what manna looks like. James. He's wanting to get to James. He is. You can tell. We need to get in By his gulping. Okay, go ahead and make your awkward transition. Well, James James says in chapter 4 that, Do you not know that friendship with the world is enmity with God? And whoever wants to be a friend of the world makes himself an enemy of God. But I was thinking about this, and how many of the things that we do sort of congregationally, decisions made to benefit the quote-unquote group, are done, I don't want to say to be friends of the world, but to fit a certain pattern of what people think churches look like. That is very historical and very culturally connected. That, you know, churches have these beautiful buildings that are well landscaped and they have very inviting interiors and comfortable spaces and you know the the presentation is done a certain way and it's all very formalized and ritualized and you want all you like you know we want this unified spirit we want this zealous spirit we want this this spirit of of living by faith and trusting in God and doing all these things but we we don't have these things because we don't ask James says And so, I told you this was going to be an awkward transition, and this may not actually go anywhere. But is there something to that? Is there something to that trying to appeal and appear a certain way to the detriment of the gospel is the power of God to salvation? And is that something that James, am I torturing James to try to make that connection? Or is there maybe something there? I don't think you're, yeah, I don't think you're torturing James. When I see friendship, I think about how Jesus defines friendship. He says, you are my friend if you, you keep my commandments. You you love me if you keep my commandments. So I think of it like that, exactly the way you just said. So in other words, to be a friend of the world means that we are literally, let's say, keeping the world's commandments, like doing the wants and wishes of the world that surrounds us, the world that we live in. 
and it fits what you just said. Because if you think about it, church, quote unquote, for them in this day and time, um, they they didn't draw people in because they had a really nice building. They had, you know, a, a lot of what they had was not going to just suck someone in. I mean, it was like, come be a Christian. Chances are you're going to get killed. Well, come hang out come in be this a, muddy river. Come to this house with a gate behind it, and we're going to hide, and we're going to whisper and try not to die tonight while we talk about the gospel. But somebody's probably going to be drug out, stuck on a pole, impaled, and lit. Right? Right. It, it wasn't attractive like that. Back to your Romans comment, your Romans one sixteen. There, there was something very attractive about the gospel, though, because the gospel sold itself... Um, on on the merit that it was literally salvation. It was going to save them from the sin that they were entrenched in. Absolutely. And, and yeah, so I, I totally agree with you. Um, it's an interesting point. You're referring to verse 4 of James 4, right, Daniel? Yes. So. Yeah, sort of the whole <clears throat> verse 4 specifically, yes, is that do we attempt to fit a certain expectation for those who are outside the church do we attempt to um so are you saying that makes us be like trying to look too much like the world instead of just spreading the message if are we trying to make our church conform to like the church standard too much well do, that, i guess that's my question is 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 do we do that sometimes are we are we sometimes um you're striving for all these things, but failing to ask the question the right way, or failing to to really appreciate what it is that we have, rather than this ideal sort of stylized picture of, you know, what what people want to quote unquote want to see when they come into a church. They want to see. A nice building. They want to see presentable people. They want to see, and we've talked about this before, where it gets messy. They don't want to see messy. They want to see, you know, respectable folks doing things in a somber and orderly fashion in a nice building with a fresh paint job and pretty flowers out front. But, and, and because that's sort of an expectation, there's this sort of like, you know, cultural picture of what a church looks like. Um, but do we sometimes do that to the detriment of the power of the gospel and to salvation? I would say that from my experience, I know like, you know, when I sat in the the deacon elder meetings that we have, a ton of the percentage of the time of that meeting is dealing with building issues, you know. Oh, okay, we got to, you know, get the AC fixed in this building or, you know, we got to make sure that the sign out front is lit better at night and this and that, we spend a ton of our, probably like 75% of our time. I think it's actually getting better now. It used to be, I think, more this way, um, where like 75% of the time we're talking about the building, maintaining the building. Like that was our job. Yeah. And so in that respect, yeah, I mean, obviously that's detrimental because that's probably, if the church leadership is entirely focused in most part on the building, that's that's a problem. That's a worldly outlook. Yeah. So... So in that sense, yeah. Um, on the other hand, you know, is James going to be, you know, I don't know, is this that application? Is this a stretch to make this application out of this part of James? Maybe. I mean, this maybe is, it is. Maybe it is. Certainly. I mean, it's, it's a good question. I mean, it's certainly valid to, 
to think about that and the importance we place on the building and all that kind of a thing. Because James is certainly much more personal here in chapter four. Right. He's much more directly involved with the individual, and um, and it's more um, like they're, they're significant problems that they're dealing with. Certainly, you know, like verse four starts with "You adulteresses, do you not know that the friendship mm-hmm. of the world is hostility toward God?" Um, you know, that I think it seems like the word "adulteresses" in this context has a broader meaning, meaning than just like a sexual one in this instance. Right. Oh, certainly. Yeah, yeah I yeah. think that's that's its whole meaning. Right. Uh, unless you, <clears throat> sorry, unless you tie back to First Corinthians where he's he's talking about um, the marriage relationship and how you know someone joining themselves with a prostitute or a harlot do they not understand that they are literally becoming one when they should not you know and mm-hmm. I, I think that's that's probably a parallel if you talk about being an adulteress. But ultimately, it's kind of like cheating on the Lord. That's you know, cheating, always, yeah. right. leaving. Right. That sort of Old Testament prophet type. A- absolutely. You've you've walked away from the covenant. <clears throat> you've, you're the one who's cheating on God right. by leaving the covenant behind and turning your backs on God. But that fits, and and uh, you know, let's say that that we that we we talk about church as it is, and and maybe. It is leaving the like the original wants and wishes of the apostles and Jesus on how what church looks like, like what the bride of Christ should look like, and it it does kind of you know pollute the what it should look like and how it should behave and how it should seem, but it becomes an extension of us too. A little later, you know, mm-hmm. we 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 leave the building and then we mobilize and we go out, and if 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 the thought process is predominant here. Or not here, but you know, in a in a church setting, when you are still the church and you leave, oftentimes your priority in the way that you think about things is still very worldly focused. You know, it it does not really change. You know, it's interesting. I was kind of thinking about this the other day, and now we're probably going to be getting way off track, so I'll have to pull in the reins on this. <laughs> but uh, the early Christians had a much different environment to be preaching in. When they were preaching the word, they were preaching to people that didn't know anything about Jesus yet, right? They were going out and talking to people, hey, have you heard about Jesus? You know, oh, who, what? No, not really. Well, let me tell you about it. You know, they would have been familiar maybe with Jewish history and whatnot. They could say, you know, the Savior that's been prophesied about, well, he came. And this is what happened. Here's the story. And, you know, convert them and whatnot. And they become Christians. And so, you know, today, everyone has heard about God. Probably everyone thinks that, yeah, I know, I know about God now. You know, I, you know, they, I know about Jesus. Yep. I know Christmas, you know, I know all these things. So now we're no longer spreading the gospel is no longer telling people about Jesus or who Jesus is. Most people would probably proclaim that they already kind of know the story to a certain extent. So then it really is interesting because what is that? What does that mean to us now in the light of that, that Proclaiming the gospel, as it was originally told to us to do back th- back then, isn't really what we need to be doing now. I mean, it's a different a different mission with the same end goal, I suppose. But how do we do it now? And that goes kind of dovetails in a little bit to the conversation about the church building, because now back then they didn't even need a building; they were just getting people flooding and congregating because what what's all this new this what you know what is this this is great this is crazy you know and everyone's getting all excited now everyone already knows about it everyone's an expert already no one really needs it 
now you have to have a nice building to try and entice people in from the outside. Now, well, maybe if we have, you know, coffee and donuts in the back, we get people to stick around longer and actually talk to each other. Now, maybe if we get the basketball court, you know, people would start up a league and then you could invite your friends and then they'd want to learn the word. It just creates this whole dynamic shift of now telling people about Jesus in today's culture isn't the driving force for a lot of churches. You know, it's just, it's just getting them interested and getting them involved and then maybe they'll pick up things along the way. I don't know. It's just interesting how it's changed over time. I don't, I don't think that you're pulling away from the point. I think you're getting, you're digging, you're digging into it. The message in, in many places, the message has changed. Let's, let's call it the start with Sunday. Even the message on Sunday has changed drastically from, I'm going to sound like this old timer, from what it was 20 years ago. Yeah, it has changed. <laughs> oh, Julian. Uh, 20 years ago, we used to yeah. talk about... Four score and 50 years ago. Well, there are extremely popular, famous, well-known gospel, you know, preacher, quote-unquote, ministers who will not mention hell publicly. No. Because people don't want to hear it. And it turns people off of their, you know, whatever their particular crusade is. They come right out and say that. That's something that they advertise. We're not going to talk about sin because people don't want to hear it. Well, okay, so what are you talking about then? Like, because last time I checked, all have sinned and fallen short of the glory of God. That's fairly cornerstone. Yeah. That's fairly basic. Is The acceptance of that and the understanding of that is where all the rest of it comes from. So if you don't have that, then it's all just the sort of happy, feel-good sunshine and rainbows, right? So yeah, I do believe that the message has gotten pretty fairly skewed in some significant ways mm-hmm. in in certain corners of Christianity. I didn't even say corners. They're more the main spotlight. Absolutely. But yes, the the message certainly does devolve and shift and but that's I'm losing my train of thought. That's Sorry, not... is it because I'm pouring this coffee very quietly? <laughs> Am I distracting you? It's a very delicate pour. Do I'm not trying not to... Okay, I'll just get it over with. So let's go. let's go back to what you just said. It is... For me, it is... It's understanding why. People, quote-unquote, accept Jesus. Which is hearing, like, this that statement... Sorry, listeners, is one of the things that really makes me sick in my stomach... That we would accept Jesus. Like, he's like, oh, if you could just accept me. Like, he's the ugly duckling. It's like, oh, well, you should just accept the Lord. Just just, just <laughs> let Jesus, just let him have a chance. Right? It's right. like, you got up because of the Lord, dude. <laughs> so, the, the why is the problem. If we start in Acts chapter 2, um, Peter makes it very clear that they killed the Savior. He, he, he helps them understand that they have a sin problem. Mm-hmm. Knowing they have a sin problem, men and brothers, what must we do to be saved? Like, we want, we want this fixed. Mm-hmm. Every single conversion after that, it is helping people understand they have a sin problem, helping mm-hmm. people understand they have a problem. Even, even the next chapter over, when Peter and John confront the, the man who's lame, they let him know he has a problem, and they fix it. Because he's like, can you give me money? And they go, no, 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 we'll give you what you need, right? Mm-hmm. It's, 
it's it's that realization all the way through Acts, and now I just feel like we should walk through every single example. The eunuch tells him what he needs. The jailer tells him what he needs. Like even Lydia tells her what he needs. I mean, Cornelius tells him what he needs. We don't necessarily, to your point, Jesse, feel comfortable telling people what they really need mm-hmm. because we we feel way more comfortable telling them what they think that they want, and that that is just not congruent with the gospel. Right. But it does does get some people in some seats. It is very temporary. If we're brave enough to just just preach the gospel, I can't say that if we if we're just honest and we just stick with it and ride it out and just preach the gospel, I can't say that we won't actually see the same type of growth that they did back in the day. I can't say that we won't I think we're very we're very afraid that that's going to turn everyone off. And there are some people it's going to turn off. I don't know that they're not going to come back though, because it is the truth. Yeah, it's going to dig at them. This is a really interesting point though, because in First Corinthians three, Paul says, "Who am I? Who is Apollos? I plant Apollos waters, but God gives the increase. Mm-hmm. It has really very little t- the response." to the planting and the watering has nothing to do with Paul and Apollos. The response is all God's. And in Isaiah 55, God says, my word will always do, God says, my word will always do what I want it to do. Mm -hmm. My word will always come back to me in the way I want it to. And what that means is the word's going to do one of two things. It's going to find a receptive heart that it's going to take seed in and it's going to bear fruit and it's going to change that person's life or that's going to find a hard, unresponsive heart. And then that person will then have no reason to say, I didn't know at the judgment. And that's a hard thing to tell people. That's a hard thing because nobody wants to hear that right now is that like some people are not going to accept the gospel and that's going to be held against them someday. But that's what God tells us is going to happen. And so I totally agree with what you just said, that it's getting out there and it's the power, like we've been saying since we started recording this one, the gospel is the power of salvation. It's not us. It's not our church. It's not our, you know, whatever congregation we're with. It's not our building. It's not our fancy clothes. It's not our 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 proper way of doing things. It's the good news of Jesus Christ and him crucified. That's what saves people. It's got, this podcast is going to save exactly nobody. It's what Jesus had to say Mm -hmm. and what he did and the life that he lived and the miracles that he performed to, to confirm and prove the word that he was who he said he was. It's his death, it's his burial, and it's his resurrection. That's where the power is. And I think we ignore that a lot of times. We think that we need to get out there and if we don't baptize somebody and if we don't teach them that they have to be in our church and they have to be in our group, that they're going to be lost forever. And we failed if we don't do those things. I don't think Paul teaches that at all. I think he teaches your job is to plant and your job is to water and then your job is to get out of God's way. Mm-hmm. And let him do what he's going to do, mm-hmm. which is that his word is always going to do his will. And it's always going to return to him in the way that he wants it to. 
We got so far off topic, but I love it. It's not that far off topic, though, because what you guys are talking about ties into verse 6 then again, where it says, um, but he gives a greater grace. Therefore, it says, God is opposed to the proud, but gives grace to the humble. And we're talking about this level of being proud. You know, we think that we know what's best now. We think that our earlier example of you know, the church building, for example, we're, we, we want a facility that we can bring people into and say, we're proud, you know, we're in this community, um, you know, this is a great place to worship. Um, or if you're in the world, you just, you're proud, you think that you've already got it figured out. You don't think that you need Jesus because you seem to be doing fine in your life the way it is, right? But, you know, here, you know, verse 7, submit therefore to God, resist the devil and he will flee from you. If, if you're not in a life of submission, and being uh, knocked down a level of your pride, then you are not going to be aligning with what James is telling us here to align with. Julian, I don't know this this uh, this topic. I feel like we could just keep I really, keep yes. digging it in. Yep. When you were talking, I was thinking, you know, countless times in different ways, um, Scripture makes it clear that what we ask for, we'll get. Mm-hmm. According to his will, right? Mm-hmm. Um, knock and the door will be opened. Seek and you will find, right? He says that. Um, he tells that all things work together for the good of those that love the Lord. And at the end of the verse, it says, according to his purpose. And when I think about that, there there was a book that Rob Bell wrote several years ago called Love Wins. And it was all based on universalism different podcast, different time, completely disagree. (laughs) Let me go ahead and say that. But one of the main quotes, one of the things he kept saying the whole time is God gets what God wants. God gets what God wants. I agree with that. And and what he was saying was God says that um, he's long suffering. He's not willing that any should perish, but that all should come to repentance. Right. Another passage, he says that he wants everyone to come to a full understanding of the knowledge of Jesus Christ. He gets what he wants. And in, in this book, he was saying because he gets what he wants, everyone, no matter what, will not be able to resist the Lord. Right? Disagree. Universalism. We'll come back and clean that up later. But he does get what he wants in in the sense that if, if you take what I just said, like you have believing, praying, diligent Christians who spend a significant amount of time concerned and praying for the lost and then actioning it whenever they can, however they can. Which means, like you said, sometimes you're just going to be the person who plants the seed. Sometimes you're going to water and you're not going to get really spun up about the fact that you weren't the person who baptized them and things like that. Mm -hmm. But if you're praying, praying, praying for the lost and specifically for people and you are getting in the lives of people and you are spreading the news every single time you get a chance. If it's sometimes buying a donut for somebody, if it's sometimes, you know, just saying a kind word, giving a cup of water, sharing the gospel, whatever you've got to do, God will get what God wants. And ultimately, the gospel will flourish very quickly because all of that is getting out of God's way. Like all of that is exactly what he told us to do. And everything else that you started out talking about, a lot of it's just fluff that really gets in the way. And again, it just feeds into the humility part. That's what we're getting into now. It's just 
Um, all of those are, th are, are distractions which can very much make us make the gospel about us. And the heart of the gospel was never about us. I think we get really confused because we're like, well, the Lord loves us in John 3.16 and he came and he's done all this to save us. But the gospel is the good news about Jesus. It's not the good news about us. You know, we had to be saved. Like, we had to be bailed out. It's not about us, right? Thanks for listening to Seeker. Find us at seekerpodcast.com. Visit our website to find information about the Seeker Project. Also check out our blog and other information that we have there as well. Thanks guys and gals. Have a good one.